The Next to Nothing podcast is brought to you in part by our partnership with Humble Bundle. Humble Bundle is your one-stop shop for everything geek. Find discounted books, new and old games, and a variety of software. A portion of all purchases from Humble Bundle go to supporting a charity of your choice, like the American Red Cross, St. Jude's, Save the Children, and more. With $145 million raised so far, Humble Bundle is a great place to buy your games and help save the world. Use our affiliate link in the description of this podcast, and a portion of your purchase will not only go to a charity, but also help support the show. Visit HumbleBundle.com for more details. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Next to Nothing, the show where we talk about how to waste your time and not your money in gaming. I am your host, Danny K. With me as always, I have my co-host, Ren. Hi, I'm Ren. I'm bad at games and stuff. What's up? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> and uh with us this week very special guest reed actually of the sneak attack podcast and uh is on twitch stream how's it going reed doing very well thank you for having me of course yeah, thanks for being here dude yeah we should we should be thanking you profusely um so real quick at the top of the podcast go on ahead and plug all of the things that you do tell people what you do uh sure. and all that good stuff yeah, absolutely. So uh, you touched on it already. I am the host and game master of the Sneak Attack podcast. That is an actual play uh, Dungeons and Dragons podcast. We recently pivoted to more of like a custom uh, 5e inspired sci-fi game system. Uh, but yeah, we have 170 some odd episodes over the span of almost four years uh, of tabletop RPG content to, to peruse from. We were pretty proud of it. And then uh, me personally, I have a Twitch stream that I uh, that I engage with my community on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. So you can find me at Reed actually and all the things, you know. Right on. Um, so real quick, and I'm going to get uh, a sneak attack link out there real quick. But uh, if you are watching the uh, show, uh, either in VOD uh, on Twitch or watching it live, there should be a Reed actually link for his uh, Twitch. And right about now, there is a link to go and see uh spotify from or uh, to go see sneak attack on spotify yeah uh, so go check those out if you are listening on the vod or watching on youtube all of that will be down below in the description of the show so yeah let's just get into it um sure. let me let me do my best let me just do my best, uh, <laughs> Philip DeFranco, and let's just jump into it. Jump right in. <laughs> jump right in. Um, so you said you're doing kind of a 5e homebrew, I guess. is I think that's the that's the uh, D&D lingo, homebrew. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, ga the game system itself is what I would call 5e uh, heavily inspired. So mm -hmm. I take, like, the, the bones of 5e, existing 5e, because I love it very much. And uh, and then I built my sci-fi rule system on top of that. So all all the the basic D and D five E rules and mechanics and uh, order of operations, all that's still there. And then I just add my my sci-fi flair on top of that. Yeah, which uh, if we're to do kind of a for fans of uh, listing on your on this, it's almost it's kind of Star Warsy, little Mass Effecty. Oh yeah. Um, Huge Mass Effect fan, so there's definitely a lot of that influence. Yeah, so it's a it's a role playing game kind of set in uh, your own homemade, home brewed um, 
Mass Effect type world with all the nice, you know, funky flavors that uh, you wanted to bring into it. Like, I want to say, am I remembering correctly? There's a lot of Kansas City uh, Chiefs puns. There, there, there may be uh, a a unhealthy amount of Kansas City <laughs> Chief re- Chief references. Yes, um, I'm a I'm a self confessed Chief super fan. I am unapologetic about it, and this is before last season. All you haters out there. Uh, so yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Chiefs fan, and just the ability to uh, inject these subtle references to Chiefs lore or fandom and stuff like that has been really cool. I, I guarantee you, like, I guarantee you, no one in the world knows all the references I've put in there already, but there's at least a dozen, and people just go with it. It's just like, but the fact that it's not so in your face is you're like, wait a minute. Is this? Are, are you trolling us right now? It's a little more subtle than that, so I, I, mm-hmm. I I'm glad that I can slip them in almost unnoticed. Does that does that go unnoticed among uh, your players as well? Uh, for the most part, for the most part, the most blatant one is the fact that I called the the whole galaxy the Arrowhead Galaxy. Mm-hmm. That was uh, <laughs> that was a pretty big nod, and uh, and yeah, so they they picked up on that one right away. But mm-hmm. there, there there's a couple in there that I I think even my my fellow sports fan. Uh, players would like have not picked up on yet. Uh, just kind of a quick self plug here. We have had one of your players on the show, uh, Joshua Lormer, who plays uh, Lucky yeah. in Volume Two and Greg Stronghammer in uh, Volume One. Um, so if you guys are Sneak Attack fans, you can go on ahead back uh, on our podcast feed and uh, find that. That was a really fun conversation. Yeah, Josh is a great dude, and he's he's so good about. It. He's way better at I am at like reaching out to the community and actually like trying to form these ties. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate, I appreciate his zeal and in, in making sure that he gets as plugged in as possible with other shows. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, so I had some questions that I've been uh, curious about uh, with, with this transition to volume two. And mm-hmm. um, when I do D and D, I do a lot of homebrew stuff um, as well. And I, so kind of going from experience, uh, just like I said, I had some questions because homebrewing, and I'm not sure if you would agree with this, is a great way to basically for fi- taking the bones of 5e and not necessarily wanting to do fantasy all the time. I know a lot of people want yeah. to do some other, you know, obviously you didn't want to do fantasy for a volume two. Um, but it's, an, it's a way to kind of get your kicks without having to buy a whole bunch of books. Um, yeah. For like, uh, for you know, buy a whole bunch of books so you could do a Call of Cthulhu game, or uh, uh, right. uh, I'm sorry, a Cthulhu Mythos game, where you know you maybe can homebrew that into a five E um, system, or you know, there's a bunch of others that uh, work that way. Mm-hmm. So when you first looked at this, uh, doing wanting to do like a sci-fi uh, adventure, what was the most intimidating part of this process for you? Uh, definitely just the amount of work that I knew I had in front of me. Um, mm. I, as, as I started my intention when I, very early on was, um, I'm going to keep most everything intact. I'll do like, I'll do a few like custom races. So mm. my players can play custom homebrew races. It won't be like dwarves in space. It'll be something else that I call them, but that'll more or less be the dwarves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and with all that came new classes because, I decided very very early on in the process as well that there's not going to be any real heavy magic influence. It's going to be mostly technology, and uh, 
And so kind of stripping all that down and going, okay, what's left? Just the rule system. Great. So I can build on that. But then as I was like making the first couple of classes, the first couple of races, and I'm seeing, I'm, I'm forming these, these little branching threads. And along the way, I'm saying to myself, okay, I, I do, I make this one thing, but this thing spawns five different things. And I make this one thing and it spawns its own five. And now I've got, you know, 10, 15, 25 different things that all need explaining or at least circling back to justify their existence. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it became so much more of a, uh, rather than just like, I'll just make a couple new races and classes and shove it out the door. It became, well, wait a minute. What about like, what is, how do you heal yourself in space? How do you get around in space? Is there space? Is there like ship combat? Do you need, and do I need to account for that? Uh, every single race has its own home system, which is a solar system with its own planets and moons and stars and uh, atmospheric conditions and biology and ecosystem. And like all of a sudden my head is going, holy crap, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and so I think just very early on, I'm realizing that it was way more work than I had anticipated. But at the same time, I was, I was still like, I was still super jazzed about it. Mm-hmm. I, when I when I would sit down to write, I wouldn't get like super overwhelmed or like feel the weight of it. I was actually excited to solve these problems, so that's how I knew I was at least on the right path. Mm-hmm. And but just for for the most daunting thing, definitely just the thought of like how do I how do I mimic in in some regards mimic or at least uh, live up to the standard that a professional team of people with a whole slew of full time resources put together, you know, once every ten years. Like, how do I, how do I create something that at least feels like it lives up to that standard in six months? Yeah. Cause I was actually, as you're explaining it, you know, you talked about just there, the amount of people that work at Wizards of the Coast Mm -hmm. and so much of the settings, I mean, that's over more than 10 years. Oh yeah. Uh, Since first edition. I mean, really like some of those settings have existed. Yeah. And I mean, that's several authors as Mm -hmm. well. You know, the Drist novels and. Um, all the, uh, you know, Eberron and Greyhawk and, you know, what's, uh, the Forgotten Realms, like those are all like at least two dozen plus, or uh, not, sorry, um, two decades plus of authors and and game designers on that. So Mm -hmm. that, that, as you were saying it, I was kind of thinking about that and you're right. That is really daunting (laughs) to try to come up with something that matches up to uh, a Forgotten Realms or a spell jammer. (laughs) Yeah, it's. It, it and and I think I think about halfway through about three months in, I started realizing like, I mean like, would it have been such a big deal to like take go the spelljammer route or the the starfinder route or any of these other pre-existing sci-fi tabletop RPG game systems? And I think I just kept going back to this like nagging voice in the back of my head of like how much I disliked playing Pathfinder mm-hmm. and. It was really just for me because of how rules heavy everything was. There was so much, I would say, context for everything. Like when it comes to just a simple attack, like you would in fifth edition, it's just I do an attack. Does it match or meet as AC? That's the success. But there's all these other qualifiers in Pathfinder. Like uh, I still don't know what being flat footed is. No idea. I still don't know what flat footed is, but it changes your AC or it changes your effectiveness of your attack. And it's just like a million different things like that. And I remember in my when I first got my Pathfinder character sheet, I was just like so overwhelmed with all the different things and all the numbers that didn't tie into each other. They were just like an independent variable. 
that affected one or two small things. And I was like, man, this is just so much for me. And so rather, rather than try and like relearn a new system and homebrew everything and, and kind of take it from there, I just kind of wanted to like, I, I wanted to make sure that the gameplay side of, of this volume two uh, endeavor remained intact. And my players fell in love with fi- with fifth edition the same way I did. So it was, it was a pretty easy choice to kind of stay in that realm, but just difficult. It was all the work was front loaded because of it. So mm. it's just like, now that we've got, we're, 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 we're releasing episode 13 this week. And now that we're like in the swing of things, I feel like things have really like leveled themselves out in terms of uh, like weekly planning or just difficulty of making the episodes. Mm. Um, but like ev- all the work was front loaded and it was kind of, it was kind of insane. Yeah. Um, and you kind of mentioned, you know, as you're kind of going through this, uh, removing and adding things, uh, what was the for sure thing when you're looking at making this system that you wanted to ax? Like what has been like that one piece of 5e that always has just driven you mad that you're like, oh, no. That's a good question. I know there's something because, uh, well, besides like all magic and that that's not inherently a 5e thing, but like, um, Oh, I think I think the big thing that always kind of threw me off was the grappling mechanic mm. in terms of like, I know how you engage in a grapple, but the fact that grappling doesn't mean you can't fight each other. You're just like hugging and punching. I'm just <laughs> like, like, like that whole concept just never made a lot of sense to me. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I remember uh, Josh asked me because, of course, he's the big melee bra- uh, brawler kind of guy who just wants to get in and fight people. And so I remember uh, he and I talked about it. I said, yeah, like, we're, we're, I don't know what grappling is going to be necessarily, but it's going to be simpler. It's probably just mm-hmm. going to be you are trying to either break free or restrain. And that's all you can do, because it seems silly that you have your full complement of actions while you're engaged in this, like, very Greco-Roman style brawl. Yeah. The only thing I, I think about grappling when it comes to 5e, or at least how I think about it, is it's kind of like judo where basically you are limited to just throwing a punch. Like yeah. You can have somebody here, and as someone who wrestled a little bit, mm-hmm. I can understand where uh, some of that like melee combat would come in, where it's like, yeah, I'm going to grab you by like the nape of your neck, and I'm going to like hold on to you. I'm going to grab your hand, and then like maybe I can you know throw you, or maybe I can throw a kick or something like that. But that's about the extent. Like I can't like swing a sword while I'm grappling. Sure. You know, Ooh. maybe Ooh. Like a knife, but that's about it. I remembered one. Spell save DCs. So that goes back to the whole magic thing and like spell save DCs are specifically for those of you who don't know are specifically your like your your ability to uh, innately defend yourself against magical attacks. Mm -hmm. So if someone tries to do like a magical attack that affects your mind uh, sometimes like your spell save DC is just your character's ability to mentally uh, block that intrusion kind of thing. That's kind of like the flavorful way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Again, because magic doesn't exist really in the same realm that it does in 5e, I just I, I converted it and called it a character DC, and mm-hmm. so now it's just one number that is is affected by one other number, your proficiency modifier, and that dictates your character's ability to just like succeed or fail at a number of different things. So it can be actual attacks or um or like abilities to roll out of the way or like dodge something so like it's it's a it's a much like the proficiency bonus in 5e it's just a, a set number that defines a lot of different things 
which I think is a super elegant way of handling the complex math that can often pop up in D&D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and that's one of those things where I'm a fairly uh, basic DM and I have a lot of new players. Usually yeah. I kind of got I was the I was the guy that got stuck being the DM for all my friends. <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, so Same. sometimes like the complex numbers, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, Some, sometimes you just you, you, you just want to say, you know what? Screw all that. Let's just like have fun with whatever is fun for us right now mm-hmm. and just like let the math be the math and we're not going to think about it. Yeah. Um, and with like a lot of that stuff, like when you're making like a, these changes, like the character DC um, and changing spells, how much of that was you and how much of that was like a process uh, with your players and doing like play testing, you know, how much like, you know, how much tweaking and stuff did the other players have? Because um, it seems like everything kind of melds well together on the show. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but I, so I appreciate that. No, uh, the, the podcast is the play test really. So, okay. uh, it, it's a very public, very terrifying type of play test where everyone in the world has the option of seeing like the good, the bad and the ugly with this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great because like already a couple times I've had people tweet me and say like, Hey, how does this work? I heard you say this, like in, in, revol- in regards to like, how something in the game works. So how does this work? And I'll be like, you know what? I haven't thought of that. That's a really great point. So I'm already getting like these public uh, kind of interactions that have, that are helped navigating this. Um, but the players I gave so much agency to very early on. Um, I have like a living document uh, all for a lot of things for volume two. One is just like the campaign itself, which is private. That's just for me. Um, and then I have the handbook. I'm calling it just the handbook for now. Uh, and that is shared out to a couple people who can kind of go see uh, what it is I'm working on, kind of the mechanics and uh, the very loose structure for how uh, for how things like certain systems work within with other systems. Um, mm-hmm. You know, ability scores versus like how does that translate to combat, for example. Um, and so I I have people like Mike and Josh who can jump in and kind of give me that ten thousand foot view because I have to be so in the weeds on it, uh, and they can give me that view. And just be like, hey, does you know, have you considered this? Does this make sense? And then for the, for the like the characters themselves, the classes and everything like that, I get, I get inspired by my players every single time we play, every single recording. They're saying something or doing something that is prompting me to go, oh, that's really cool. I need to jot this down and then add it into like the official publication, uh, like whenever that comes out. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's nothing is off limits, nothing is like sacred if, if i've already completely rewritten like how kelsey's class works in the game mm-hmm. um we've we've scrapped entire entire elements of her engineer class and added an entirely brand new element that's just unique to her subclass and so it's really like just being able to play it and and see kind of like the the fun thing for me is like to be at the table and to see like i can tell when a player is enjoying themselves versus when they kind of feel like they're not contributing that much and so that sparks a, a dialogue with me and says, hey, what can we do to get you more involved? And mm-hmm. so just that back and forth with my players who are the most intimately familiar with the game system right now, um, it's just been it's been super invaluable. So, yeah, it's tons of influence and tons of uh, open open conversations that prompt really the, the, the goal of making the best thing we can. Yeah, <clears throat> which you kind of led me great into another question I had here. What like what has been like the least favorite or like the most frustrating things for your players. 
Oh, that's a good question. I, I think uh, very early on, like the first couple episodes, it was really understanding what you can and can't do. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I don't know like how many like first time or, or kind of newbies to D and D there are out there, but uh, it's, it's very difficult, especially someone like me who came from like, all I've done is played in video games. That's mm-hmm. my involvement in like RPGs. And so the first time I ever played D and D, I was like, well, what can I do? What are my limits? Because that's, that's, I think a gamer's like that you, you jump into a game for the first time. You want to test the system. You want to know what your boundaries are, what your, what your moveset is, like, what can you do and not do? Mm-hmm. And in a game like D&D, that just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like, a good DM, I think, will, will take whatever it is that you want to do and craft a narrative or craft uh, some type of element that will help feed into, they'll feed into your player's desire to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And so, but, so it, I, was, I was so struggling very early on as a player to just know what those limits were. And it took me a long time, like uh, several months worth of playing and under a really good DM to kind of understand like, okay, I need to get my own like misconceptions of what's possible in, in Dungeons and Dragons. I need to get that out. And then, uh, so it was, it was very difficult. Like, okay, let's make a podcast for D&D. And like Kelsey was a brand new player and Mike and Danny hadn't played in years. And, and so they were all kind of in the same boat as we were all kind of figuring this out together what's possible, what's not possible, and, like, what can we do? And once we got past that, everything went super great. But now mm-hmm. with Volume 2, we've just, like, restarted that. <laughs> and, which is funny, because that is the last thing I expected. Like, I expected mm-hmm. our, like, our energy and, like, our table vibe to kind of just, like, stay intact, and we would just, like, almost pick up where we left off, but that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And specifically, uh, in an episode that has not been released yet, I think you guys will hear it in three weeks. Um... I'm kind of beating my head against the table going like, what are you guys doing? I was like, you know, this is more or less D and D right. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I was like, I was like, if you have a question about something in the world, go ask somebody. It's like, like I'm not like, it's, it's a little different than go find a tavern and ask a bartender, but more or less go find a tavern and ask a bartender. <laughs> like, and they're just, they're like, wait a minute, we can do that. I was like, it's D and D. Just, just play the game. <laughs> I, was, I was getting so mad, oh, and uh, so it's, it's, it's really funny that like everything is. I tried to keep everything so similar to fifth edition, but still, invariably, they're just like, "Now nah, we, we like, we, we, we almost need a hard reset again." Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna have to teach them some, ru- some tough love of like, this is how you play the game. If you don't remember, this is how you do it. Yeah, go to your local space, Casey's, and ask for directions. That's it. Like it's <laughs> the, the names may be different, but the, the the uh the themes and like what you need to do are they're more or less identical mm. by the way casey's for those who don't who don't hail from the midwest like reed and i is a, a gas station in which you can get a slice of pizza uh, <laughs> it is it's it's more than that but yes it's that's, that's the heart of it um so yeah that's that's funny that just because it just a different setting with some slightly different rules yeah that that's all it took and they were just like wait how do i do this again yeah (laughs) come on guys (laughs) um and do you think that's because this it's a space setting more than the rule changes or do you think it's more the rule changes i i think it's a little bit of both honestly i think uh because the it's so much easier like if if you if you needed to get from point a to point b in fifth edition like in a traditional high fantasy setting you're thinking gotta rent horses gotta to get a boat 
who knows how long this is going to take. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I can only go like what 50 miles per day on horseback or something like that. It's something yeah. stupid, but you can cross more or less half a galaxy like that in my game. And so just this concept of traveling places means nothing all of a sudden. And so yeah. it, it completely flips that whole mechanic on its ear of like, uh, we're, we're far away from something. How do we get there? Or like, what do we do in order to prepare for going there? Well, really nothing. Like I tried to make travel as as small of a thing as possible in this game, mm-hmm. and and just that whole mentality of like things are the same but they're different. I think it just puts them in a little bit of like an uneasy state of knowing, uh, in their mind of like what's what's possible versus what do I like what do we need to work for. Mm-hmm. So let's same thing with like the internet. You know what I mean? Like the internet exists in my world. I call it the outer net, but it's more or less the same thing, mm-hmm. and. Like, so people, I think, are just now realizing if they don't know information or if, they, if they're needing to look something up, they can use the Internet. That is a tool. That is a resource at your disposal. And I am the Internet. The, like, the game master is the Internet. And mm-hmm. so it's I, I think they're like, well, we have all this information at our disposal. We can go anywhere we want. But what do we do with that? And I think that's their challenge is I, I, they're, they're figuring out what it means to. They're figuring out what it means to be these new classes and these new characters all along the way. They're they're trying to define for the world, really, the, anyone who's listening, what this new game system is and what's possible. So they're feeling the weight of, you know, am I am I playing the game right? Mm-hmm. And I think they are. I don't think there's a wrong way to play the game. And mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think they're like they're in their head the same way I was when I first started playing of am I doing it right? You know, it is. Am I going too far? Is this is this possible? And I just want to say yes to everything. You know, there's there's no shut door. You know, any path is available to you. It, you just let me know, and I'll and I'll I will facilitate that for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a hard problem, and uh, I can imagine that only gets harder for the more the more you layer on and the more you add, yeah. which. Uh, I I don't think I have any ideas and <laughs> it's <laughs> prove that and it's you know it's it's not an impossible problem I don't think mm-hmm. and I I do I do believe it's one of those uh those problems that will work itself out just the more we're in it mm-hmm. the more comfortable we feel in the space with this rule system and just kind of understanding like what is possible versus what is uh versus what is not really and and I, I just I feel like they'll they'll eventually get get it out of their head of like we're not playing a different game system just the names might be different but more or less mm-hmm. this is the same thing so um, I, I think I think we we did have like a little tough love moment like specifically that last episode I was referring to of like I think they're starting to figure it out like I don't have to be so codependent on they don't have to be so codependent on me mm-hmm. in order to achieve their goals like they can they can declare themselves I want to do this and set out in the world or set out in into space and go find and facilitate their their ability to do that and i'm just like yes i'm on board let's go and mm. and i i hope that when they when they when they have that moment of realize oh i can really define how the story goes instead of just like wait for reed to give me a prompt then mm. i think that's when like the magical kick in it took mm. us a little bit in volume one as well but i like we got there and i'm not i'm not worried yet yet yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give it a couple weeks yeah um so like the last question i had planned for you mm-hmm. in, uh, is we've done the high fantasy we've done the sci-fi 
what other settings would you like to homebrew for yeah. and what mechanics would you implement to make those changes? Oh man. Uh, or what, uh, mechanics would you strip to implement those changes? Yeah. I, uh, I was inspired by something Danny, one of our players, said um, when I we asked we we asked this question uh, at like a one of our live stream Q and A's, or it was uh, maybe it was even just like a table like a table discussion or something like that. But the question got tossed around Danny if if he had to run a game, what would it be? And and Danny said he wanted to run a one shot uh, set in like a like a 19th century mining town, like an old, like an old West style mining town. And mm -hmm. I just got like super attached to that, that setting of like this, this like red dead redemption, old West kind of turn of the century style, six shooter type of type of game. And I'm just like, I'm really, I'm really on board with this. Like, I think this is such a cool idea. And so if I had to like, pivot entirely a whole new game system whole new thing i think i would probably do 5e western but i would bring back fantasy races mm -hmm. that would be like that'd be my one kicker so like dwarves would be there and orcs and elves they would all but it would be like a, a, a old west uh you know swing and door saloon with fantasy races and six shooters mm -hmm. that's okay. that's what i would do uh and then I would make the classes like sheriff and uh, blacksmith and just like very like trade type jobs, like almost mm -hmm. like occupations. And uh, but I would I would keep the traditional I'd keep the traditional uh, 5e like fantasy races and stuff. Just do whole, mm -hmm. whole new classes. Yeah, uh, just because we've, we've talked about this game before. I played it with my family uh, over Christmas. Um, there's a game called Deadwood 1886. Ooh. That, I like uh, I like Deadwood the show. That's what it was called, right, uh, Ren? I believe so. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was called Deadwood. Yeah, so this is actually a fun like little uh, tabletop game you guys could like play when you're not playing D and D. You know, you guys are having a um, uh, Deadwood 1876. Uh, so okay. the whole thing is that you uh, you all have a character and you're there like robbing and stealing, and uh, you have these dice that correspond to weapons. So every card has like a weapon on it and every card has like a action on it. So you can either do the action or you can use the weapon in a shootout to like try to kick somebody out of a building. Mm -hmm. And like uh, basically you go through like three rounds trying to collect gold and trying to uh, be in the building that has the most gold. Because if you're in the building that has the most gold at the end of these three rounds, you're in the final shootout and whoever wins that wins the game. Uh, but it was really fun. Yeah. Uh, and it might be something you guys would probably enjoy. I, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it when I played it with my family and I wasn't expecting to. <laughs> I, uh, it was funny because I'm, I'm the type of person who would like, I'm not going to like abandon space or like this volume two. I'm not going to abandon that anytime soon. Yeah. If we do a volume three, I don't even know that I would do a Western theme thing. Mm. Um, but if, uh, yeah, I, I just like I got latched onto this Western idea, this Western motif. And so then I immediately like it happened right around the time I got my PS4. So then I started playing like Red Dead Redemption 2. And mm -hmm. I just like kept reinforcing this idea of like, I really <laughs> love this setting so much. And then uh, I, I like I watched the Ballad of Buster Scruggs and like Unforgiven on Netflix. <laughs> I'm just like, I really want to do this all of a sudden. <laughs> like I had to pump the brakes. I was like, mm -hmm. you can't 
you can't plan the next thing until you like finish or at least get like halfway through the first thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I run into that problem all the time where I, I write a lot of one shots for my, mm-hmm. just because a lot of times that's all I can really get people to commit for is one shots. Yeah. Yep. And so I'll be like halfway through some sort of um, Salem witchy kind of setting. And then I'm like, but I really want to do some sort of uh, mind delving uh, Eldritch horror yeah. <laughs> or uh, political intrigue debutante ball, <laughs> you know, something <laughs> like that. Like murder on the Orient Express kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys wait? Did you guys have a mis- couple of mystery episodes like that in volume one? <laughs> oh, we, we, we tried, but they were so bad at it that like the murderer got away. It was like a total letdown. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, yeah, that's all the questions I really had for you on this, like, homebrew thing. Is there anything that, like, you really wanted to get off your chest or rent if you have any questions for him? I guess I should. Well, I so my my issue is that I don't really have any experience in D&D or anything like that. So when when you're saying, like, one of the big things that new players try to do is they try to press their bounds. I mm-hmm. distinctly remember because somebody tried to get me to play D&D. And they gave me like zero guidance whatsoever. And I was like, but what that do I tough. do? Yeah, that can be tough. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's always sounded intriguing. It's always sounded like a great time. And honestly, both both like the space one. And honestly, I'd be I'd love to be a sheriff. <laughs> do, do, that sounds hilarious. I'd be so yeah. down for it. But uh, yeah, that I don't really have any questions to what say. I, what but... I tell people all the time is if you can if, if you like video games, if you if if you enjoy novels, like even just any type of creative input, like mm. there's like a nine out of ten chance you're gonna get hooked into in D and D. If you can just like yeah. take the time with someone who actually gives a crap about their players and like doesn't set them up for failure, uh, like just to be able to like ease them along and really help them discover the joy of interactive storytelling, like collaborative mm. storytelling. There's nothing else like it in the world. Literally, there is nothing else that compares to a group of friends sitting around crafting a story together and not just like being hand fed something that right. anyone else could have done. Yeah. It's there's just some magic there and that Gary Gygax and company, like they figured out very early on and have just been really like refining and honing it for the last 40 years. Oh, yeah. Need a kid. Yeah. That's all I have to say. <laughs> we'll, <I agree. laughs> we'll, we'll get you in on a, on a one shot here soon. Ren. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, anything that we didn't touch on, Reed, that you that you wanted to add? Oh, uh, I if 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 you do play D anD D as a player, uh, do your DM a favor, say thank you, uh, let them know that you appreciate their work, offer to DM for them one session, just do a, plan a one shot yourself, and say, hey, let me take the reins for one session just to give you a break. They would greatly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. It can even be a, a pre-made one. You don't have, don't feel the urge to write your own right away because that can be super daunting and overwhelming. Don't yeah. be an idiot like me. I did that. It, <laughs> it was stupid. Yeah, it, it was dumb. Uh, there's really great resources out there for first-time DMs who, and they, like the people who get paid a lot of money to put together modules. I don't know why you wouldn't listen to them, but I didn't. Mm. But just listen to them <laughs> and go out and and get their their books or download the PDFs. They're super cheap and. Yeah and go ahead and have yourself a little pre-made one-shot adventure and inject as much character and flair and story into it as you as you feel comfortable but really just go out there and have fun that's that's the big thing and your dm will thank you for it Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I you just reminded me of a quick question that I wanted to ask you because uh, you guys have done stuff officially was with, with uh, Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, um, you guys have done the Mordenkaidens. Yeah, we we did uh, Tomb, Tomb of Annihilation, Tomb of Annihilation, and uh, Tome of Foes. Yeah. Um, out of all the modules on D and D five E currently, mm-hmm. which one do you suggest new players or new DMs look at to start with? Ooh, that's a great question. Um. Because those books aren't cheap, and it can be no. it's like, do I want to do Tomb of Annihilation or Horde of the Dragon Queen or Horde of the Horde of the Dragon Queen is great because it's so long and comprehensive. Horde of the Dragon Queen is a three book a three book saga that in, intends like the the scope of the story is you start out as a level one character and you work your way up to being a god more or less who defeats literally the queen of all dragons and. So like that is a enormous book. It could take people years to go through and that's if they play regularly. And so there's so much content there. If you're just looking for something that'll take you from one to a hundred given to you on a plate, very little, I don't want to say very little planning because there is like every DM, every DM has the plan, but mm-hmm. um, it's very simple just to get in and be ha- like given all the resources to succeed. Um, whereas something like uh, uh, Minds of Fandelver is a very short module it doesn't take uh it won't last very long i think you get from like level one to seven i think by the end of it and that's a great test to see do these people even want to play DD? that's a great starter as well uh tales of the yawning portal is also really good that's kind of a, a lesser known one but it's a bunch of smaller stories all in one book so like, similar to fandelver it's their condensed little uh not one shots but a little mini mini adventures that uh, you can pick and choose from if like you find one that seems like it's more up your alley than another one. You can just play that one and you don't have to worry about all this extra stuff. Um, I would I would avoid I would avoid Tomb of Annihilation as your first go. It's <laughs> it's so exhaustive and it's it's really fun because it was co-written by Pendleton Ward, who is the creator of Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it's got a, a ton of humor in it and just mm-hmm. really unique flair, uh, which I love about it but it's also super hard. Like it's not a, it's not an adventure for new players. It is, it will kick your butt sideways and it's really, really challenging, especially when you actually like get into the tomb and everything you you could literally die as soon as you walk in, if you don't play it right. And like adventure over, hope you had fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's, it's so that can be brutal, but it's, uh, there, there, I would say part of the dragon queen is great. Fandelver tales of the on portal. And even like Morden Canaan's is, is fun too, because, there's a lot of content. It's not an adventure, more or less, but there's a lot of stuff in there that you can build from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, for anyone who is curious about getting into D&D, just like a real quick aside, the the core things that you, the two core things that you really need uh, to start would be the Dungeon Master's Guide mm-hmm. and the Player's Handbook. Those are the two books that you absolutely need. Uh, I would say arguably the monster manual if you plan on being a DM yourself. Yeah. Uh, but you can get away without it. You can yeah. find custom stat blocks online and some basic stat blocks for uh, some stuff. But that player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide are the two things you absolutely need, especially yeah. if you want to be a DM. Um, and then, yeah, if you want, if you guys want to start a pre-built thing, uh, you can check out uh, some of the things that Reed mentioned there. So yeah, we spent a good chunk of time here on D and D, which is great. I love talking about D and D, um, and uh, 
but I think it's time for us to kind of move on here. We talked a little bit last week about uh, Elder Scrolls Blades and the monetization policy mm-hmm. yeah. uh, or practices, the business model that they started. Um, over the last week, I got a new phone and I decided I was going to pick up uh, Elder Scrolls Blades on this uh, just to see how good or bad uh, the policies or the, the the business model is for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Elder Scrolls Blades, basically, the, the the gameplay loop is go to dungeon, kill things, loot, go back to town, build town, rinse and repeat. Right. So, uh, combat is super simplistic. You you um you you know come across a monster or some sort of creature. You hold, wait for the thing to light up the correct color or to uh, basically light up the way you want it to not correct color, I guess, but then you release attack done. Hmm. Um, so really simple, you know, you just make sure you don't miss. They said, hold and release, hold <laughs> and release. Um, you have some different abilities that will like use stamina or magicka, hmm. um, or mana, whatever you want to call it for, um, elder scrolls. Um, so you can do like a shield bat, like an ability is a shield bash. One is like an overhead strike, uh, some other abilities that'll use up some stats. Um, so far, the two things I've seen that are lacking, um, you can't really be a pure caster. Like you can like cast fireball and there's some like, there's some different spells and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can't be a ranger of any sort. Like there's no bow option or crossbow option that I've seen, which is really strange because there's like the typical, there's the, in every Elder Scrolls game, there's the, <laughs> the wood elf archer. The, the stealth yeah, archer yeah, assassin. The stealth archer, the assassin, <laughs> the thief. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was part of it. I'm like, oh, interesting. There's no no bow option. I haven't picked. And I'm at level uh, 10 or 11. So I'm like, if there's no bow at level 10 or 11, I'm assuming there's just no bow in the game. Mm-hmm. Like that, that feels fair. Does that feel fair? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that seems like a reasonable assumption. That seems pretty far into a video game which i mean arguably isn't that far i i don't know how many hours i've played of it i'm guessing probably right around three hours or so Mm -hmm. um so yeah the i can't see a bow there's no like just pure caster option like i said you have like an option to cast spells that have that almost seem like um almost like a timed passive ability that you like hit it I guess it's not timed passive. It's like a timed active ability, like some sort of um, oh, like on, like on cooldown. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where you like hit it, and then like you have to wait for like thirty seconds and try not to get hit to cast fireball, because uh, fireball will get interrupted after or if you get hit within like a certain amount of time. So it's mm-hmm. like you either shield up or you, you know, get lucky and don't get hit for the whatever amount of time it is to actually cast it. Um. So that's that's kind of like the basic gameplay loop. Like I said, you kind of go through the dungeon, you loot, you grab chests, you grab items and gold and whatever else through it. Um, each dungeon has like a specific kill five of this ener- uh, enemy, find these townspeople, um, get through the dungeon, like make your way all the way through the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end, you're rewarded with a chest some gold and XP and then you go back to town and then uh, cause the whole idea of the game is that you are um, 
for those who aren't super into Elder Scrolls lore, you are a member of the Blades, which if you remember in Skyrim are like this secret shadowy organization who um, fought against the Aldmeri Dominion, but also killed dragons. Mm-hmm. And so this game takes place in the Elder Scrolls timeline at the point in time called the White Gold Concordat, I believe, where the Aldmeri Dominion and the Imperials uh, decided to stop going to war um, and formed an alliance, which is actually a big thing in the Skyrim Civil War story arc. Yeah. And so Just, you're like, yeah. correct, me if, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't uh, Oblivion start like aren't is, isn't the, the king being escorted by the blades? Is that the group or is that is, is that not the group? Possibly that's either it's either the blades or the companions. And I don't remember which. OK, I, I, I always thought that there was some tie to Oblivion as well, like where Patrick Stewart mm. gets killed, like that whole yeah. sequence. I the the most of my uh, my Elder Scrolls knowledge comes from Skyrim and Elder Scrolls Online. Um, I haven't gotten to play Oblivion or Morrowind. Um, mm-hmm. And a part of that um, is just the fear that I'm like, if I buy Oblivion or Morrowind, is it going to be compatible on Windows 10? Because I've seen even recent games from Bethesda, like right. uh, Fallout 3, not be compatible with Windows 10. Um even when running it in in compatible mode and like getting different mods it just always crashes on me so yeah you're a blade you're like a member of the blades and you end the war and so you go back to your uh, go back to your hometown and you find it's destroyed so it's now your goal to rebuild your hometown mm. i named mine honey pastures which anyone who's played D with me will know that's like usually what i named the starting town in all my homebrew campaigns <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so you go through, you loot and you start building up your town. Like you start out with like a smithy and then you got to make some houses and then you can make an alchemy lab. Um, and all like this building takes time, um, as well as opening chests, which is where the problem that we talked about last week actually kind of starts to rear its ugly head. Um, so chests are rewards for going through stuff, completing quests. You find them in the... You find them in the dungeons themselves. And the problem comes that chests take actual time to open. A wooden chest takes five seconds to open. The next up, the next level up is a silver chest. That takes one hour to open. The next one up, the gold takes six hours to open. Or you can spend some precious, precious gems on it, which you get gems by um, completing quests or as real, world currency. Lost, real, word, real world currency. Um, and they said like in a tweak, I saw like a, a patch note real quick. They fixed uh silver chest from being three hours to one hour and you can only open one chest at a time. Mm-hmm. So you could be like stocked up on, on all sorts of wooden chests after a dungeon, you know, maybe two or three wooden chests and maybe you claim a free one here or whatever else. Um, but you're opening up a silver chest. You're either spending money or you're waiting on that silver chest to get done so you can open up all these five second piddly little wooden chests. Yeah. Can, is, can you not like choose which ones that you want to open first? You, you can open. Yeah, you get to choose, but you can only do okay. one at a time. Right. And is this like a thing where you have to you can't do anything else while this is going on? Or like, can you go and peace out and then come back later and it's open? You can you can peace out or you can go and like do another dungeon. Um, It's not like a stamina bar where like you're limited to dungeon runs based on this. Mm-hmm. 
but you can be halted. I could feasibly see you being halted in progress by this um, because you get like lumber and limestone and copper, all these things that you would use to build your, your town to build yeah. like a smithy or upgrade a smithy, um, anything like that. Um, you can like be kind of halted by that and like, or you could just get lucky and find those things in a dungeon. Um, it just feels really weird. The first off, like the scaling feels really weird to me. You go from mm -hmm. five seconds to an hour. Yeah, that seems very, very long, especially for a game where you're talking about like it's it does basically sound in most cases kind of like an idle game. You're not really doing a whole lot. Like even when you're like trying to yeah. cast a spell, you're kind of just chilling. It's like, yeah, okay. like the, the combat can be kind of active. Like you have to pay attention to the combat. You have to hold and like release, hold and release um, to, you know, launch your attack. And then, you know, you have to, you have a sh shield or a block option to block incoming attacks. So like the combat itself isn't really idle. Um, and, and that's why I'm like, okay, well, at least you're not limited to these dungeon runs. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, like I said, the problem is, is like you can only do one at a time, which feels just really weird. Like at least give two and then the scaling. Um, and then because, yeah, you go from five seconds to one hour from one hour to six hours. Right. Yeah. Which does not feel quite right. Like uh, three hours. So how much how much is this game? This is free. OK, this is a free mobile game. Um, so, yeah, like the scaling feels kind of weird. Uh, the amount that it takes to open up. Um the the chest itself if you want to just insta open it seems okay ish mm -hmm. um i'd rather not be there and then like a for me i'd almost rather pay 99 cents for the game but right whatever yeah like what happened to this mentality where like are are, are people with mobile games just unwilling to pay actual money for the game or like if someone like a bethesda a triple a developer if yeah. they actually just like said hey we're dumping all this time into this game and this energy and it's an actual elder scrolls experience but it's five dollars would people say no uh, i think i agree to be completely honest because i feel like so many people like yeah you easily catch a lot of people because it's a free title but mm -hmm. it's always frustrating like 99 percent yeah. of the time it's just a frustrating experience and and that's how like especially because mobile is such a large market you can you can easily hit a hundred million people or at least mm -hmm. get in in front of their eyes. I mean, and there's not even a hundred million of any consoles out right now, and right. so like it's just it's an insane it's an insane insane uh, user interact interactivity curve. But when someone downloads this free version of Elder Scrolls and they get super frustrated that it's just a wait and see game for uh, after thirty set thirty minutes or something, all all you're doing is tainting your brand. Yeah. It's like now all this that's the association people have in their head when they think of the brand Elder Scrolls or even Bethesda as a whole, like I'm just very confused of why they would possibly think that was a good thing rather than a super polished, unrestricted kind of, uh, kind of experience where you can do what you want when you want to mm -hmm. for five, five bucks. I mean, that's, that's not yeah. even, that's a, that's a Wendy's, that's a Wendy's yeah. meal. You know? like, yeah. That's no, easy. I completely agree. That's um, a slice of pizza and a soda at Casey's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I distinctly remember a long, long time ago. I actually looked it up because I could not remember for the life of me. I brought it up multiple times of uh, 
one of the actual good, in my opinion, good like mobile games. And it was Super mm-hmm. Brothers Sword and Sorcery where you did you did throw down like five dollars. But it was like a straight up, like actually decent, like story and like real. Uh, like it seemed like a polished game that just yeah. so happened to be a mobile game. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is good. I'm really impressed with this. During that time when it came out, it was just like everything was idle. It was all and- idle garbage. And it was just like, it's not fun. It's literally just something to waste time on. And I hate I- that personally. I mean, and it's not like there isn't a precedent for like the opposite model working, right? For the pay up front model being successful. Didn't right. Nintendo sell like a bajillion copies of Super Mario Run? I believe yeah. they and, sold a and lot. That was, that was $10. And I know people right away were like, whoa, boy, $10 for a mobile game, <laughs> you know, easy. And they yeah. sold like, they sold millions of copies. I wonder, I wonder if it's more of what, you know, sure, it might, it'll still be successful, but what's going to make even more money exponentially down the road? Oh, yeah. Um, it, because they always, these games and these models always rely on whales. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the people who are willing to spend a lot of money or yeah. uh frankly don't have the uh the willpower not to spend that money yeah. um which is another problem i what i will say that this does that other mobile games or what this doesn't do that other mobile games do do is this doesn't push the store to buy more gems right in front of your face mm-hmm. or like at the most inconvenient times trying to get you to accidentally click on something. It's not, it doesn't seem, it it hasn't shown to be that scuzzy yet, like what a lot of mobile games will do. That or uh, a lot of other free mobile games, uh, especially the really, really, really shady ones will take the uh, phone number of your device Mm. uh, from the information and sell it to telemarketers. So Mm -hmm. if you just like downloaded like a new like bubble witch or something like that, and all of a sudden you're getting way more way more phone calls that's probably what happened to you um i don't even know how that's legal yeah i I don't even think it is but that's what uh i think the problem is a lot of these developers aren't in the united states so what recourse do you really have right um (laughs) uh reply all did a uh pod uh an episode recently on that um which maybe i'll link down below for that uh episode if i can find it um but yeah, so the model, I wonder if it's just because one model is just definitely more successful than the other and yeah. not necessarily um, that one isn't s- successful at all. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure like that the idle, the idle game makes the money. I mean, like no one would do them if it didn't make anybody money. But right. I, I, again, I think you just it, it seems crazy to me. Obviously, I don't have shareholders and a staff of 400 people globally that relies on me for for an income but like it's just really it's really hard for me to justify like i know for a fact i'm going to taint the image of of this product or this brand right but mm. i'm okay i'm okay t- with that sacrifice because it will net x amount of money it's just like yeah to me it's not it's not even like a question it's like no i'm gonna do what's best for the long-term health of my brand but it's just, yeah. it's not, it's not the, the, the reality. And it's really, it's really kind of disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, in Bethesda, as we've kind of seen in the recent, recent, uh, few months or a year or so really have struggled with keeping like that brand, yeah. uh, untarnished. Re- yeah. I mean, we, we could say they really shit the bed with 
fallout um i'd be putting it lightly yeah that's <laughs> um this this doesn't feel like such a, a big misstep as we initially thought to me um like i say because it's not pushing like this door right in front of your face where you're accidentally going to mm -hmm. click on something mm -hmm. and then you you know authorize especially if you have like a fingerprint id kind of thing um where you're going to authorize some sort of purchase on accident um it doesn't feel like it's necessarily preying on um the the skinner box as you know for people who don't know the skinner box it's the it's the famous experiment where like a rat would go to a box and press mm -hmm. a button and get food um you know it doesn't feel like a skinner box where you're constantly pushing things just to get more things mm -hmm. um <clears throat> like uh like a loot box system that's basically what that is um there's not a bunch you know there's not a bunch of stuff like that what feels i guess weird i will say is that it, on every part of or every loading screen in this game it mm -hmm. says this is an early access game mm -hmm. which i agree when we said last week yeah. uh, in the article that we read um that it's not an early access game and i fully agree with that this is not an early access game this game like there's not missing features it doesn't like i'm not going through this and being like this building is not available until you know or in the future no right. like everything everything to play seems to be here like there's nothing missing it seems it's not uh you know it's not being like archery range coming <laughs> yeah. soon yeah there's nothing like that and i can pay money on it, it, the, it the grand theft auto 3 approach where like you can cross the bridge once you've once the <laughs> yeah. uh, you've gotten farther in the story yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing like that that makes this feel like it's unfinished mm -hmm. and therefore an early access game. Uh, heck, I haven't even seen like any real graphical glitches, Yeah, <laughs> which for Bethesda is quite impressive. And for an early access Bethesda game is even more impressive because <laughs> you would you would just imagine that if this was some sort of early access game from Bethesda, there'd be like walking robes somewhere with like, <laughs> you know, like there's no glitches like that or something fails to render. That was my experience playing the beta of uh, Elder Scrolls Online. It was, I was perpetually trapped in that hell space, like where you have to break out of jail in hell. Oh yeah. And I was just perpetually trapped there. I was like, this is fun. This is, this is good experience. So really nailing the hell simulator. Yeah, like, no, I, I really feel like I'm in hell. <laughs> oh, uh, Molog Ball kept you trapped. <laughs> that he did. Um, you could not be the vest. What is it? The vestige? The vessel? I don't know. I, think I, only, <laughs> I only played the beta, and I, and I was very disappointed. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it seems like we mentioned it a lot right now, but uh, we, um, I, I actually thoroughly enjoy uh, Elder Scrolls Online, and it's, in its current state at least when i was able to play but i can't download or i can't play it anymore because i cannot download uh information from zenimax <laughs> like it's blocked by my isp <laughs> if this, it's, oh, this so, is the future of gaming future. <laughs> you don't know you don't own anything i just want to put you you, you will never right. own your games again you merely yeah. lease them from the company you gave 60 dollars to right and whenever they decide that they want to revoke that access good luck you know that's tough <laughs> on you yeah well and it, it kind of stinks already because a lot of you know com companies don't release like their server 
their server information so you mm. can't like recreate servers for games that it's like yeah when dirty bomb is dead uh there's a first person shooter i play a lot of re or i played a lot of um mm -hmm. that they've they've kind of stopped active development on They're like as long as people are playing we're gonna keep servers up but um like you can't like download the server information actually yep. let me make a stand real quick splash damage i want that <laughs> server information so i can make servers <laughs> when y'all eventually let go of dirty bomb <laughs> so yeah I, I, I have seen like game companies in the past they will do stuff like that of like yeah if they're shutting if they're sunsetting servers or moving on from a product they will actually then release like uh publicly the data needed to like build your own server and then you can host it yourself so maybe that's yeah. a possibility i want to say i want to say like uh old quake games did that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when they started moving on to different quake games you could do that and a couple others um but yeah like once you buy that 60 dollars you know modern warfare 3 how long are those servers going to be up for probably not for much longer yeah. um you know and that was you know 60 dollars down the drain you can play the campaign but you can't play the multiplayer yeah um so yeah that is actually a sad state of affairs that uh <laughs> that'll eventually start happening to a lot of these big games imagine what will happen to like overwatch if like overwatch 2 comes out and they want to <laughs> do a um are they gonna, is blizzard gonna allow you to make your own overwatch one servers i don't know i think i i think if, if any company has built up enough positive faith in the community of like extending the life cycle of a game that you would imagine should have died off years ago mm -hmm. it's probably blizzard the fact that you can still like play starcraft one <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like you know uh obviously wow is still a thing and like i i, I think i think blizzard probably has a track record of behaving the opposite of what you would expect yeah but um it's certainly i think a fear amongst the more how do i want to put it less reputable game game developers out there that's a that's a very uh very pr way of saying that. it was tactical <laughs> it was very tactical <laughs> very tactical are you uh, are you uh, well versed in the arts of public relations reed hey i've uh, i'm very familiar with saying stupid stuff so if that's what you mean yes <laughs> i have a whole history of saying stupid things it's all right i'm sure one of these days this podcast will probably cost me a job <laughs> <laughs> or my stream i know my stream is probably going to cost me a job opportunity <laughs> oh, there you go um so yeah do you guys have any other questions or thoughts about elder scrolls blades it's very meh i i enjoy it just because it's probably the only phone or the only uh, game on my phone and i haven't had any real problems with it so far I don't know. I'm honestly just kind of surprised that they still like they kind of went for more money grubbing. Like I'm I'm okay with a little mm. bit, right? That's okay, whatever. Yeah. But like going for something that's kind of crucial to gameplay loop is a little mm. like eh, I don't know about that, especially after what you know, a certain game that uh has a 76 on the title. I'm not naming names, <laughs> but I'll definitely tell you it's uh, no longer on my computer. Um yeah, oh, I don't Deadwood know. 1876? You got it. Yep. Yep. I no longer have that installed. Yeah. Yours yeah. was less tactical than mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I don't know. I, I'm shocked that they weren't like a little bit more hesitant on yeah. that. It said just be like, no, we want more money. Yeah. More money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, I mean, there's a difference between like the blatant give us your money and then the very nice and be like, Hey, like want to support the game. This is a way yeah. you can do it kind of thing. There's, there's a fine line uh, between those things. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of all I had on it. That's pick it up. If you have a phone that's compatible with it, try it out. Like I said, it's not going to try to trick you at least not yet. It's not trying to trick you into buying gems and other stuff. Uh, it doesn't try to push you into the store. Um, maybe that's why it's early access. (laughs) (laughs) built out yet. In our 1.0 release, we are going to uh, every game starts out on the <laughs> front page of the store. Every time you lock in, <laughs> oh, the uh, to exit out of it is a really, 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 really tiny X, and right next to that is a big, 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 big button for gems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's important is that the X moves around the screen. Nobody ever sees that move coming. So uh, you got you got to try your best. Really. It's a feature. <laughs> It's like playing Duck Hunt. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, um, we did see some news today. You guys want to talk about this uh, bit of news? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so after after some uh, time of um, rumors coming out of the rumor mill over there at mm-hmm. Sony, they announced the PS5. They did. Coming. Uh, would you call it an announcement? <laughs> They confirmed, they said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just some quick thoughts on this. Uh, any any quick thoughts on this at all? Um, I know we talked a little bit before the show about like a bunch of AK stuff and. Um, yeah, basically, I, th- I don't know. Uh, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I I think it's uh it's it was kind of a silly thing to make a big deal over, if I'm being honest. Uh, yeah. They it, it's not. No one didn't think it was coming, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's been it's been six years already. Uh, they said it's not coming out this year, so that would make it seven years since the PS4 launched, which is exactly the amount of time between the PS3 and the PS4. Like, like all the signs are pointing into yes, we're working on something, obviously. And mm-hmm. the only thing they really talked about was ray tracing, solid state drives, and <laughs> and 8K. I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I I don't know. It's it, this is the whole like we're announcing an announcement that will come in the future at an undetermined date when we will then have another announcement. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's I don't know. It's it's a new cycle to generate buzz which it definitely did. But I just I I I don't think there's anything in there that is like unexpected. Like, "Oh, I didn't see this coming." Yeah. Yeah. No, I I honestly completely agree. I I feel like a lot of people will probably were like a little bit like, "Oh, 8K, but really who who runs 8k ever mm-hmm. at any point <laughs> like really and the ps4 pro can't even consistently output 4k at 60 hertz exactly so, yeah like, are we are we expected to believe that four years later three years later they'll have an yeah. 8k at 60 hertz yeah mm-hmm. for not for games like probably yeah. like blu-rays or you know netflix streams or stuff like that but uh, there's like no way in my mind that the first iteration of this console can do 8k 60 hertz gaming yeah yeah no, I can. And how many, agree. and how many 8K displays are actually on the market right now? And we talked about this on the um, before before, but I don't even think there's that many 8K cameras, yeah, like professional grade cameras that are really on the market. Um, so the, yeah, you're right. That felt like it's yeah, great. To, this be, be, for to be fair, because I, I don't want to like throw Sony under the bus necessarily, because I think they've done a really great job uh, with their console hardware lately, mm-hmm. especially yeah. since like the ps2 if i mean like they've 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 been doing a pretty good job historically um and but i they've also like really kind of embraced this trend of being forward-facing with technology 
like really mm-hmm. thinking out ahead. And yeah. like the PS2 had a built-in DVD player. That was unheard of at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PS3 had a built-in Blu-ray player and that stupid cell processor, which did, ended up being <laughs> terrible. But uh, like, again, it, it became very quickly the most popular Blu-ray player of all time. I put a Blu-ray player in every home. Mm-hmm. And so like this process of them thinking to themselves, you know what, it's not really a thing yet, but we're laying the groundwork for, because they, they have several arms in entertainment. They've got like three or four different movie studios. Uh, they've got television production. They do, they, they manufacture other hardware. Like they've got their hands on all this other different things. So if they can get a system in your, in your house that will tie into other 8k content they're producing elsewhere, mm-hmm. uh, that's a, that's going to be a huge win for them because they'll probably be one of the only distributors pushing 8k video content digitally, like streaming it. And so all of a sudden, Hey, guess what? 25 million of these units already exist in homes or across the globe. And, th- and like their prime targets for this new 8K content, if they want to call it Sony Plus and charge seven bucks a month and mm-hmm. to just watch Spider-Man one, two and three over and over, then awesome. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like that, they, they strategically, it makes total sense. But I think practically it makes it's like totally irrelevant right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I feel like it's not nearly it. Like they're trying to really sell it as something that's super like important and mm-hmm. crucial. But really, I honestly could care less. Like I yeah. have a 1080p monitor. I am more than content with that. I know some mm-hmm. people are like 4K. You got to have it. And I'm like, eh, I, yeah. I don't I, I don't need to spend that much money on a monitor like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a whole lot of like, hey, look, we're making really cool stuff. Buy our stuff. Buy it. Buy it. Buy it get hyped yeah. and it's like i'm not particularly <laughs> to be completely yeah. honest yeah. with you oh man that's that's basically it for me to be completely honest um mm. actually i kind of did touch on one little thing it's not really that big of a deal because most people don't mm. even own it but the fact that they did announce that there was backwards compat i feel like it's more of a requirement honestly that mm. they uh, announced backwards compatibility for the vr portions mm-hmm. of things because if i owned vr for ps4 i would not ever want to buy like another what is it it's it's a large amount of money to get a mm-hmm. vr set for ps4 and then have to buy a new one for ps5 i would lose my mind mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would be so done yeah but, uh, it's oops uh ps vr whoops it's like 300 I, isn't it yeah yeah it's uh just under 300 dollars. it's 250 um depending I mean, on where you depending on where you get it at that would be an that would be a pretty insane thing to do that'd be almost like xbox demanding that people buy a new connect if they wanted to use it with their xbox yeah. one no you know exactly. that, w- that would be insane <laughs> <laughs> can you see see the disappointment in his eyes oh, <laughs> i have no idea what they're doing over there the judging. <laughs> um one thing i've heard uh just like real quick uh to give microsoft some props and i've been wanting to kind of talk about this but we'll talk about it at some other point is the xbox one's uh accessibility controller stuff um, oh yeah that seems uh, they they are not gonna make their money back on that but it's really cool that they that they mm-hmm. built that stuff um but yeah anything else you guys want to talk about not not particularly i think we're good there wasn't a whole lot of gaming news this week to be honest no the lull before e3 yeah 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 exactly cool well we will uh end it here guys until next week um we want to thank everyone for coming. Reed, I want to thank you for coming and tell the kind folks where they can find you and what they're going to find when they get there. All the Absolutely. places. 
first off, thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast. Appreciate it very, very much. Uh, if you like D&D or tabletop RPGs, you can check out my podcast, Sneak Attack Podcast. We're on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, all the places you can get podcasts. Spotify, Pandora even. They do podcasts now. Um, and also, I stream on Twitch, which is the platform you're watching this on right now if you're if you're watching live and not on VOD or on the podcast. Sorry, I just realized I alienated your audience. If you're on Twitch, you can check me out Wednesdays and Saturdays. Uh, just read actually is my handle on Twitch. So check it out. I'm playing God of War right now, and it's one of my favorite games ever. Oh, man. Cool. Um, Ryan, what's coming up on your channel? Uh, more Siege, mostly. I'm also working on some YouTube content right now. Um, I've mm-hmm. also started recently posting on Twitter and Instagram more often. You can find me at, uh, at Renditions on both of them. Um, but yeah, not really a whole large amount. Mostly just like branching out and doing other things. That's pretty much it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, coming up on my channel, I, I, I'm taking a quick little break from Enderall. <laughs> I am severely, I feel like I'm severely underleveled for a current boss, and it is frustrating the hell out of me. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll try to get back in Enderall here towards the end of the week. Otherwise, uh, I've been playing some Sandstorm, maybe play some Siege with Ren. Who knows? Maybe. Um, so, yeah, that's what's coming up on my channel. Follow me on Twitter. Follow uh, our podcast at NTN Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find Next to Nothing if you guys are watching live and miss something. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and a couple other places. Um, so whatever your favorite podcast platform is, check us out there. If we're not there, send me a message. I'll make sure we get there for you. Um, other than that, guys, absolutely anything else. Nope, I should do it. Nope. All right. Have a wonderful week, guys. All right, later, Bye. guys.